two-bedroom, two-bath with a master and a spare or maybe two masters, individual homes, and you put eight of them together on about an acre, put a ninth building in the middle that can be a common house, and then build multiple colonies like that to make a cozy home community. You're listening to Bridge the Gap Season 5, a podcast dedicated to informing, educating, and influencing the future of housing and services for seniors. Powered by sponsors AccuShield, Connected Living, Inquire, One Day, LTC REIT, It's Never Too Late, Meridian Capital Group, Salinity, The Bridge Group Construction, and produced by Salinity Marketing. Welcome to Bridge the Gap Podcast, the Senior Living Podcast with Josh and Lucas. We are in beautiful California at the Senior Living 100, and we have one of the big thought leaders and innovators in the space. We want to welcome Matt Thornhill is the CEO of Cozy Home Community. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, so I saw you last night. You had on a beautiful bright red jacket and a multicolored shirt, and I said, I got to meet this guy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because anybody that knows the senior living fan, um, when I was packing my bags to come out here, I was wondering how many black T-shirts I could fit <laughs> in at one time. And it's not because I don't love color. It's because I don't like decisions around wardrobe. So black always works. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> it was a great conversation. And then come to find out you are one of the speakers during the innovation uh, time periods um, of a kind of a TED Talkish kind of a 15 minute high impact um, discussion and you were the lead speaker and did a fantastic job. Okay. Um, a couple of things that we learned in that that will allow you to speak to. Um, we were surprised. I was surprised. You have a whole background of working on Madison Avenue in products and marketing and focus groups and a whole bunch of high level things. Talk to us starting there with some of that background and how has that transitioned and pivoted to now you're building cozy home communities, and we'll talk about that more. Well, hey, I appreciate that. And I, thank you for not mentioning my clown shoes that I was wearing last <laughs> night. <laughs> uh, no, Lucas, uh, I do. My background is in really consumer behavior. Uh, I was on Madison Avenue working in ad agencies for the first almost 20 years of my life. Um, then I ran a think tank for the last 17 years that focused on how to market to boomers. And specifically because boomers had aged out of that golden demographic that we had always been focused on in, in advertising, that 18 to 49, they'd started turning 50. And advertising, we just ignored people over 50. Or, or maybe we'd sell them a Cadillac or some Depends or something. Yeah, <laughs> X-Lax or something. Uh, but we didn't know what to do with them. And, and I had, back in 2003, I had friends who were in their 50s. It's like, they're not dead. They're still buying stuff. So I formed a consulting firm that became a think tank. And we went out and researched and said, do you feel like advertising is missing? They're either treating you as you're still young or they're treating you as if you're an old person and you're neither. Um, and that just ended up being in the right place at the right time. All this generational stuff was just starting and we were just in the right place at the right time with a, with a message. And, and that got me in front of a lot of audiences to really help them understand the, the boomer consumer at that stage of life. And along the way came senior living. Senior living came and knocked on our door and said, hey, we got to understand boomers. And I'm like, why? They're too young for your product, and they're not coming anyway because they don't really like your current product. Mm -hmm. Their parents are there, and they don't, they don't like it. So I don't think they're – they said, no, no, we need to understand boomers. If nothing else, they're decision makers for our parents. So we did research and got consulting gigs and gave speeches to help educate the senior living sector. And that was my first exposure to it. I didn't know anything about senior living. 
Um, jump forward 10 years, the recession came and went and senior living kind of went away. It came back in about 2016, 2017, and they said, hey, we really need to understand boomers. So my business partner and I said, well, we'll, we'll do a big national research study ourselves because we're a think tank. Let's think about this stuff and see if we can figure out what's going on and to take the temperature of where boomers are today at this stage of life. So we did that study, and then we went out and shared those findings at conferences and events kind of like this. And it was along that journey that it became clear to me that the senior living sector just had a blind spot for specifically the middle market. They've got plenty of product for the high end, and the current operators have got waiting lists of people who want to be on the high end. They look at the boomer consumer coming to them and say, wow, there's so many of them, we're going to be fine. And they're right. They're going to fill that top 5 or 10% of the market with the high-end product. And then there's government-sponsored housing for low-income boomers, but there's nothing for the middle. And the sector, the industry, is kind of saying, well, we need to figure out this forgotten middle. I guess that's what Nick calls it. And that got me thinking about this idea I'd had for years about, why don't we build some affordable housing, more affordable housing, market-rate housing, for older adults where they can live intentionally in community. So that's what got me from where I was to, to where I am today. Well, I love the perspective you have coming from outside the industry, researching data, um, and then coming into the industry with new ideas. I have heard for years, as have you, Lucas, and Matt, you've probably heard this too as you've been studying. I mean, there's no lack of um, operators, developers, owners talking about the need for middle market product but it seems like we're not delivering anything. Matt, what are the these things that are preventing us from getting product out there that you see is kind of glaring? Well, there's, uh, there's probably a couple of things. Probably the most fundamental thing is the nature of real estate development, and I didn't really understand this before I got into it, is how do I maximize the amount of money per square inch of dirt? Uh, and that's the, you know, how, how do I enrich myself the most from the developer's point of view? The local communities want the biggest piece of property built there that they can get so they can get property taxes if it's a for-profit operator. So they're interested in everything being higher end. Um, so it, it just didn't work for building kind of middle-income housing for any age group, much less the older age group. So I think that's one of the problems. The second problem is, is that the current operators, a lot of the operators that are at the high end for, for senior housing, um, they, they said, okay, and a lot of them are nonprofit operators, and they kind of feel like, well, we've kind of worked ourselves up here to this end of the market. We've got a little pressure from local municipalities about our nonprofit status. We've got to figure out the middle market. It's almost like they're doing it for self-preservation versus doing it for trying to meet a market need. And I'm not going to say anything bad because I need to partner with these, these folks to bring it to the market, uh, bring my concept to the market. But uh, it was just kind of interesting to me when they, they would admit to me in conversations as I was kind of shopping the concept. they go, yeah, we really need a middle market solution. We don't really know how to do it. And the closest they can come is to essentially downsize their existing product. Um, and, and that's not necessarily the right way to go. It, you know, a couple of years ago, the uh, architect firm Perkins Eastman did a, an exercise where they brought in some of the smartest folks in the, in the sector and said, let's do a blank slate project. What if we started with a clean sheet of paper? What would we come up with? And they published a great report that's got, you know, 10 ideas in it. And one of them is, let's build 
more affordable housing and, and, and how to do it. So I don't know if I answered your you question. You did. You absolutely <laughs> did. And we could chase uh, some rabbits on that topic for a long <laughs> time. Um, but I'm curious, you know, I think it's uh, going to take some trailblazers like you to invest and get these communities out there like you're doing and prove the model and prove that what the boomers want and that it can be done. And then that starts to move things into motions because there will be other people that then say, hey, this can be done. But really importantly, I think it would be interesting to hear, and I heard you talking a little bit about this. I know you couldn't unpack it all, but you've learned a lot of things in your research about the boomer generation um, and this market that you speak of that has informed the cozy home model. Could you share just a few of those things for our listeners? Hey, Senior Living Influencer, we have an event for you. So many of you have heard about our VIP Ignite experience and it is time for you to request your invite. It's gonna be in Nashville, August 28th through the 30th and you are not gonna wanna miss this event. Join us for Dream Again, Check out VIPIgniteExperience.com to request your invitation. We hope to see you there. There's really a couple of demographic things and then something we found in our research. The demographic thing is that um, in our, our study, we asked people about their, where they were financially and, and savings for retirement stuff. And 53% of the respondents, and this was a huge study, 4,000 completed, so legitimate national research, 53% of the respondents, boomers, said, I've got less than $100,000 saved for retirement. Mm. So you ask them, okay, well, what are you, you going to live off of? And they go, well, Social Security, Medicare, and the equity in my home. It's like, not if you don't sell your home. Yeah. So that, that was, that's a number that's kind of out there. Mm-hmm. How are they going to be successful with that? Second number out there is that 40% of boomers today don't have a spouse or partner. At the same time, 20 years ago, when the last generation was this age, it was only 25%. So we're talking about tens of millions of people who don't have a second income, won't have a second Social Security check, don't have a caregiver in the home, you know, when they get older. So we're going to have to find ways for us to take care of each other. We don't have the money and we don't have the partners, so we're going to have to take care of each other. So what are we going to do if no one's creating those communities? You know, well, we'll build the Golden Girls House. Well, nobody's doing that. So that was part of the inspiration for me to say, okay, how do we, how do we meet this need? And then uh, kind of a separately, I, I've always thought I, I happen to be involved in a church that has small groups, and we're intentional about kind of sharing each other's lives and living together. It's like, well doesn't have to be a church model, but why don't, why don't we think about that for the stage of life? We're now empty nesters. We're now at the stage of 60 to 80. We've got these bonus years here. Why aren't we thinking about, oh, how can we come together and support each other through the stage of life and be intentional in living in community? The reason people stay in their homes is they got nowhere to go. They can, oh, I can, the only thing I can afford is I'll sell my house so I can have some, some cash available to live off of, and I'll go live in an apartment. Well, are you going to know anybody there? No. Do you want to live in an apartment? No. So why don't we create a different type of place? So the idea behind Cozy Home was a smaller home, maybe a 1,200, 1,400-square-foot home, two-bedroom, two-bath with a master and a spare or maybe two masters for a roommate situation, individual homes, and you put eight of them together on about an acre, put a ninth building in the middle that can be a common house, and then build multiple colonies like that to make a cozy home community. So that's the concept uh, behind it. 
Well, you know, it makes a lot of sense, and Lucas, we'll have to make sure we share some of your slides, if you'll allow sure. us to, of your model, those visuals for our listeners, um, so they can connect on YouTube and uh, on social media with us and see some of the model, because it makes sense what you're describing when you can see that. You also get into, uh, I, th I believe your model, uh, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, also deals with some efficiencies uh, that you think you can gain through, I believe it uh, is manufactured off-site homes, right? Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the second element of, or I don't know what number element it is, but I kind of baked a lot into Cozy Home just because I was thinking not about how we do things today, but how are we going to do things five or ten years out in the future? Um, and one of the things, at the time when I started, came up with the concept, the construction industry was struggling with not finding labor, still struggling with that. Um, and it's like, well, the future of, I mean, we've been building houses the same way for 100 years. Well, there's a, a growing number of modular home manufacturers that are creeping up all, they've been around, but they're getting better and better, that essentially build the equivalent of a stick-built house, but build it in a factory. And I'm not talking a mobile home or a manufactured home with a railing underneath it, I mean, a, you know, metal um, a trailer. So, yeah, I'm not talking about a trailer. I'm not talking about a tiny home. I'm talking about a traditional wood-built home that's built inside a factory in sections, delivered on trucks, and then craned into place and stitched together. Uh, it's interesting. It, it enables you to kind of build the foundation out here in, in the, you know, on the parcel while the home is being built in the factory, and you can shorten the whole build cycle completely because once the home shows up, it's installed and done in a matter of a week or two. And you can have people moving in two or three weeks after it's been delivered. So well, it's huge. Yeah, it's very, it's very exciting. Um, so another aspect of this, uh, I think we can't avoid talking about because you guys kicked it off uh, with the color conversation, <laughs> right? You're a colorful guy, but your communities look like colorful communities, at least on your renderings and so forth. So tell me a little bit. I, I believe you have some also research mm -hmm. into the intentionality behind that. So talk to us about that. Well, again, this may be one thing that I've baked in that I, it's not critical to it, but it's important to me, and that's why it's on the, the concept model that's on the website, cozyhomecommunity.com. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is that um, there's, I came across a TED Talk from an industrial designer named Ingrid uh, Fattel-Lee, who um, was doing industrial design work and found that uh, when she was presenting her kind of thesis uh, stuff to her professors, they said, oh, Ingrid, your work just brings us so much joy. And she's like, joy? I wasn't trying for joy. I was trying for thoughtfulness and good use of materials. And I didn't know what they were talking about. So she started looking into it and found that joy was something that can be built into the environment. And she spent the next two years researching it and wrote a book now called Joyful that's out about how we can take things that, that maybe we're not, not thinking about it and apply it to the built environment and how we create and build things. Um, she found some uh, work that had been done by an environmental psychologist in Canada, and he's an academic who's written papers on, and studied how people respond to different images and different things. And one of the things that she points out is that people really respond positively to, to bright colors. I'm, those who are listening, not watching, I have on a basically Caribbean-colored shirt, and our homes are based on a Caribbean color palette. And Ingrid points out, it's like, you know, if you think about third world countries, like in, in Africa or South America or developing countries in, in the Caribbean, and there's, everyone wears bright colors. 
uh, and they're, they're beautiful. But when we became a modern society in the 1850s, uh, the next thing you know, everything in big cities went gray and black and beige and off-white. And that's the, the color palette that you'll see just about everywhere. And what Ingrid found was there are places in the world where they have gone and they've taken those drab environments like, like public schools and they've painted them these bright, colorful colors. Uh, and it's changed uh, the whole attitude of people in the, in the community or at the school. They've done it in senior living. They've, she found things like hot air balloons and lighter than air objects and uh, foliage and all those things really impact how we feel. So if there's science around how color and how those things can make you feel, why aren't we building it into our, especially our senior living environments? And if you look today, often, I mean, they're beautiful buildings, but they're all the same. There's nothing different about them. And as I'm trying to develop a new concept, I thought, well, at the very least, I want people driving by to see a cozy home community and go, okay, that's different. And it actually is drawing me in, and I don't know why. And it's drawing them in because of the colors. Yeah. Well, so I'd like to kind of wrap up our last few minutes talking about, because we talked a lot about how research has, has designed every aspect of this community. You've put a lot of thought into it. It's going to be built differently. It's designed differently. The colors are a little bit different. Well, also, I figure it's going to have to be operated a little bit differently, right? So when you've looked at the landscape of how existing communities are operated, talk to the operators. We have a ton of them listening uh, to this show right now. As cozy homes are popping up over the next few years all across the country, what does the operator that wants to or would need to be able to operate that, how does their mind need to change as far as how they approach that operation from a traditional community? Well, I, again, I'm thinking about how senior living is going to be delivered in the future for the mass market, mm -hmm. again, the middle market. Um, it's, it's, you know, the model is moving towards senior living as a service. I've talked to venture capitalists to say that's where the money is, aging in place, and you got to deliver it in people's homes and where they are, and, and that's all well and good, but it's very cost ineffective to do uh, senior living as a service when you're going point to point to individual houses. So given that, it's like, well, why don't I aggregate seniors together for senior living as a service? And I, I don't have to be the operator. I don't have to provide the services. The services can come from the community at large, outside the walls. And maybe they come from a senior living operator down the street who says, great, I'll, I'll actually, quote, operate the cozy home community, but essentially I'll, I'll use my resources to provide resources to that community. And that way, the cozy home community itself doesn't have to be full service all within the gated community, you know, 24-7 we bring resources in as they're needed. You know, it's funny, COVID has accelerated this, it really changed the whole sector, changed everything. But one of the things that, that we were thinking is like, you know, eventually we'd get to telehealth. I didn't know it was gonna happen in three months when COVID hit, but I knew that eventually we'd get there. I knew that eventually we'd, older adults would be very happy with their groceries being delivered. They wouldn't have to go to the store or their prescriptions being delivered. It's like, again, it happened overnight like that. And that just makes the model for cozy home work because we don't need the added expense of all of that being done kind of on site on 24-7. Uh, we need it on demand. 
and deliver. It's much more cost effective. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've got so many things that we could talk about because there's so many existing real estate assets, senior living operations that we talk about all the time, Lucas, that are currently kind of being retooled. They're being renovated. They're being repurposed. They're being repositioned all over the country. And as the model you were just talking about where senior living as a service, and we, we see all these new models where senior living providers are taking their services beyond the walls. Um, and it's still very much needed, but you've got the built-in acuity healthcare going on in the senior living communities. I could almost see a model where the cozy home communities are built in near proximity. And then all of these built-in services can then be scaled and as needed go into the cozy home communities. It seems like such a viable model mm -hmm. and you are able to meet parts uh, of the sector that maybe that specific uh, senior living community wasn't, wasn't designed specifically for but there's equally importance in both of those segments. So what a great conversation. I can't wait for our audience to connect with you if they don't know you already. And if they don't know your model, we'll obviously connect them uh, to you. Yeah, I mean, Matt, you, you know, I think that what, uh, you know, your position here and in, in coming and talking about innovation, um, you know, it takes a vision, right? Um, and you had a really amazing way to kind of sum up uh, <laughs> how that is because the people in senior housing and the people that are here at this conference and many others, um, it's somewhere in collectively this group in our minds. Uh, give some encouragement to the listeners that, that weren't able to hear that kind of departing vision, um, uh, you know, parting words. I'm happy to do that. And, and my little cozy home concept is not going to solve the middle market issue. It's going to address it. And my goal is to show that there's just a different way to create housing that people want versus housing people need at this stage of life and a different model that we can set up. So that's really the, the driver behind it. Um, but when I look at the category and when I was running the think tank and, and working with the category, the sector of senior living, I, I really feel like everybody in senior living today, it's, it, we all talk about it's going to change, it's going to change. It's gonna, well, how is it going to change? I don't know it's going to change. We know it's going to change. So I'm reminded of, uh, I think that everybody in senior living has, I call it a Walt Disney moment, a Walt Disney opportunity, because, you know, Walt saw uh, an opportunity to buy up a bunch of land in the middle of central Florida, far away from the water, in this little uh, backwater called Orlando back in 1960. And in 1971, they opened uh, Walt Disney World, which is now the second most visited attraction on the planet. So it went from nothing to, to that. And uh, when it opened in 71, it, it was a little sad because Walt had died. He had died in 1966, five years earlier. And the legend has it is at the opening ceremony, uh, his widow was there, Roy Disney was there, other dignitaries. And somebody leaned into Walt's wife and said, oh, it's such a shame that Walt's not here to see this. And she apparently turned to them and said, well, if Walt didn't see it, we wouldn't be here. And to me, that's the opportunity we have for senior living. We've got to see what the future is and then go do it. And it's not just me. We all need to because there's just unbelievable opportunities. You guys are young and smart to be in it because this is going to be a growing category for the next, I don't know, 40 years. So that was my, my closing thought. Matt Thornhill, CEO, Cozy Homes, and this has been a great conversation. We'll make sure that we connect with all of your information in our show notes. Everybody can go to btgvoice.com, check out all of our episodes, connect with us on social, 
And thanks for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap. Thanks for listening to Bridge the Gap podcast with Josh and Lucas. Connect with the BTG Network team and use your voice to influence the industry by connecting with us at btgvoice.com.